0: Away from the quarterback position, the Seahawks' biggest competition coming up in training camp may be at the right tackle position. Who holds the edge? Rob Rang and I are going to be discussing and debating on our latest installment of Locked On Seahawks.
1: You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, this is Corbin Cook, your host of the Locked On Seahawks. Joining me is always my co-host and Bob Rang. Hope everybody enjoyed a nice three-day holiday weekend. We certainly did. As always, thanks for making Lock On Seahawks your first list in five days a week. Heading into the second week of organized team activities, Bob and I are going to be breaking down the upcoming competition at right tackle. Who has the edge, Jake Perhan or rookie Abraham Lucas? Plus, we'll be breaking down the edge defender outside linebacker group in our depth star review. Now, for your lead story here on the Seahawks, suffered a significant loss in their front office. Alonzo Highsmith, he's going full circle. Former Miami Hurricane star, won a national title at Miami. He is now heading back to Coral Gables to take over as the director of player personnel for the Hurricanes. Rob, that kind of sounds like an NFL position, but with the NIL legislation, with where college football is trending now,
0: they truly have become a developmental league for the NFL.
2: Oh, absolutely. They have, you know, and the University of Miami has, of course, been a a developmental league uh, for the NFL for for a long time. Uh, University of Miami has a another former Kane here there and mario cristobal uh re- returning as well um and so i think it's just uh a case of just one big happy family all kind of uh you know congregating back there um you know and th- that's the thing that i i i applaud um alonzo highsmith in making this kind of move i mean he's at the point of his nfl career corbin there right, where that um, you know, obviously he would have been a, an invaluable member of Seattle's scouting staff. And, you know, you and I each had an opportunity to kind of talk with him a little bit here at, at the OTAs and, uh, and maybe even at the, at the draft itself. I had a chance to kind of uh, reconnect with him. Um, and I'm just excited for him. Um, the fact that he is going back to Miami, that he is, does have this opportunity to um, not only to evaluate players, and perhaps be a, a critical kind of conduit for NFL teams and when they want to evaluate the players that are coming out of uh, Miami's program. But he also gets a chance to, to be able to be the personable guy that, that Zoe is. Um, and his ability to kind of work with people, as you mentioned, with the, the NIL regulations and things like that, I think that it does take a little bit more of a professional mindset, but also a personal mindset um, to be able to kind of reach today's youth and that's something I think that Alonzo Highsmith is going to have a great deal of success uh, with with the University of Miami. And at the same time, Seattle is also going to be able to have a, you know, kind of a guy there in, in the headquarters of one of the most prominent programs in all of college football. And, and Seattle is going to have a guy that is going to be able to tell them the inner workings of what's going on there. Um, and perhaps might be able to give uh, Seattle a little bit more of a, Um, peek behind the curtain and some of the other programs um, throughout the NFL will be able to get.
0: This really is a win-win for the university and for Alonzo Highsmith, because as I mentioned, he starred there. So he's going full circle, going back to his alma mater. He gets the chance. I mean, he was on the team in the early eighties that really put Miami on the map and set the tone for them to be so dominant throughout the eighties, nineties, early two thousands. And This program's kind of fallen on hard times, at least by their standard. They've still had some pretty decent teams over the last decade, but they have not competed for a national title since 2002. That is an eternity at a school like Miami. So now he gets a chance in a different capacity to put an imprint on this program and try to help them get back to competing for national titles. And as you mentioned, both of us had an opportunity to speak with him at rookie minicamp. I talked to him for a few moments there, and you never would have known that Alonzo Highsmith was thinking about making this move. He was so excited about this incoming draft class. Some of the undrafted players that Seattle had brought in that was, that were on the field during that mini camp. And that's just the way that he is. I mean, like you said, very personable, uh, but This is a move that I'm sure has been kind of working in, you know, behind the scenes for a while that was getting set up and now finally had the opportunity to accept that opportunity to be with Mario Cristobal and a number of other coaches that are now returning to Miami. They're all hoping to bring the Hurricanes back to being in national relevance, something that they just haven't been for the past few years. As for the Seahawks, as you and I both alluded to, this is a significant departure just from the standpoint that Highsmith was a very valuable member of the Packers front office for a number of years. He was with Cleveland for a short while. And obviously he was put in a bad spot there with some of the other pieces in place. Cleveland just been a it's been a place where executives have gone to ruin their careers, so to speak. We've seen that with players too. But Highsmith gets the chance to come to Seattle to join force with John Schneider. And, and I certainly think that he was a big part of this draft that they just brought in that everybody seems to be so excited about. He was involved heavily behind the scenes. Some of the players they brought in a year ago when he was hired in that small draft class. So he's already left his imprint, a proven scout understands the game understands other, other factors being an executive. So with the number of losses Seattle has already had losing a number of guys to the Carolina Panthers, Scott Fitterer, Morgan, Morgan, losing Ed Dobbs to the Colts a few years ago. I mean, they've lost a number of key pieces in this front office. So this is just another one that they were not able to hang on to going into the 2022 season. So that's just going to leave a void. That's the big issue for the Seahawks here. But you can't fault Alonzo Highsmith for making this move at this stage of his career, going back to his alma mater. And I wish him the very best with the Hurricanes.
2: No, I certainly do as well. And, you know, again, I think one of the things that we got to kind of reiterate here is just what a classy person Alonzo Highsmith is. You know, quick story, uh, one of the very first games, uh, all-star games, I had an opportunity to, to scout myself. I actually took my then-wife uh, to, uh, to to Maui um, and, and to the Hula Bowl and had an opportunity to have dinner with Alonzo Highsmith and a young Jason Light, now, now of course, the general manager, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Scott McClue, and a couple of other folks. And, and Zoe shows up with uh, the flower lays uh, for all of the ladies there. And, uh, and we just had a, an awesome dinner and just really kind of showed uh, just what a classy guy that, that he was. So personally and professionally, I am wishing Alonzo Highsmith uh, a wonderful time at Miami. And uh, I'll consider myself a little bit of a, as a, of a closet Canes fan moving forward. I don't know if I'm going to go that far, but
0: I certainly will be wishing him the best. And and the program's kicked out some pretty good players. The Seahawks have drafted a number of them. So I don't know if I'll go into the closet fandom for the Hurricanes, but I certainly will be supporting him. Outstanding guy, uh, does a great job, has done a great job with Seahawks, great job with the Packers, great executive now he gets to put his imprint again on the University of Miami. We're going to get to the right tackle competition here in a moment. Who holds the edge? we get got a third-round pick in Abraham Lucas. He's going to be trying to take the job away from Jake Curhan, who started the last five games as an undrafted rookie a year ago. We'll be breaking it down in six categories to see who holds the edge heading towards training camp. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball scores, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting and waging informational needs, from live betting to the playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks Podcast, Tuesday edition I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined as always by Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And make sure to check out the Locked On Today podcast for your second listen. The biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day. It's available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get podcasts. All right, Rob, let's switch gears to the offensive line now. We've talked so much about the quarterback competition, and that's going to be the one that's going to continue to generate headlines because it's the most important position in professional sports, Drew Locke versus Geno Smith. But they got to have people to block for him too. And I think the second most compelling competition, most compelling positional battle on the offensive side of the football is at right tackle Jake Kurhan, who played pretty darn well in five starts to end the 2021 season in place of an injured Brandon Shell, and Abraham Lucas coming in as a third round pick, four year starter at Washington State. You've got the rising young rookie going up against a player in Kurhan who exceeded all expectations last season as an undrafted free agent signing and has positioned himself to maybe be a starter down the road. And so I think that this is truly a 50-50 battle when we're looking at these two guys competing for that spot. And Curran right now, at least at OTAs, has been getting the first team reps.
2: Yeah, I it, think it's interesting that you you made the parallel to the quarterback competition. Um, you know, and, and obviously Geno Smith, because he is the incumbent and he has experience in Seattle's uh, scheme. That's the exact same reason why I believe that Jake Curran right now it has been the starter at right tackle for Seattle, at least on paper and the OTA practices that, that you and I got to uh, attend, uh, you know, or at least the conversations that we've had. Obviously, it was the rookies who were participating at that spot. Um, but what we anticipate, I, I do think that Jake Curran is the leader in the clubhouse, so to speak, right now. But that there are so many things that are exciting about the rookie um, and Abe Lucas that I think that suggests that he is going to eventually wind up becoming Seattle's starting right tackle. And if you look at these different categories that we have set up, those of you who are watching on YouTube can see the categories. Those of you who are not watching, I'll just say that those six really quickly. And we'll just kind of go through and characterize who we think is going to be the winner for each of these categories. Um, the, the, the six are pass protection. Blitz or stunt pickup, zone run blocking, gap run blocking, second level blocking, and then just athleticism. And so I'll start off right off the bat with pass protection, Corbin. And it's it's difficult to go with a rookie who is not um, already established himself and say that he is the better pass protector from a from a player, Jay Curran, who as you mentioned. Um, you know, very much exceed expectations for many as an undrafted free agent. Uh, you know, of course, senior bowl uh, executive Jim Nagy told us uh, prior to, uh, you know, or, or prior to the beginning of the season that he thought that Curran might be able to make this roster. And a big part of that was because of the proficiency that Curran had demonstrated in pass protection. And all of that's yet said. I really think that Abraham Lucas, just his size, his length, his athletic ability, the fact he's a four-year starter at right tackle uh, for Washington State, his entire career in a pass-happy offense, I do think right now he is the better pass protector between he and Jay Kurhan.
0: Yeah, I don't think that this is really that close when you consider now. We don't know what Lucas is going to do in the NFL. He has no NFL snaps. That's the advantage that Kurhan has as he started those five games and played some snaps at guard in a couple of other games but while he was really playing well in the run game, he had his issues in pass protection and gave up four sacks. And you watch the college tape, you just see a more fluid pass protector with Abraham Lucas than what you do with Jake Curran. And Curran had solid numbers as a pass protector at California, but They weren't comparable, and Lucas didn't give up a single sack his senior season. So to me, this one's actually pretty easy. I think Abraham Lucas is coming into the NFL immediately as the better pass protector of these two. And that lends itself to our next category as well when we're talking about blitz pickup. That's going hand-in-hand with your pass protection stuff. I think that Abraham Lucas has the edge here as well, though I don't think this is necessarily a case where one is bad at it and the other one is not. I think you could say that with pass protection too. Both these guys are solid pass protectors. I just think Abraham Lucas is a better player in terms of overall pass protection, and I think he is a better player with – blitz and stunt pickup. I actually am projecting a little bit here too, which we have to do when we're talking about a player that hasn't played in the NFL snaps. But this is a guy that with his athleticism, his mirroring ability, I just think against NFL rushers that are doing twists and stunts, that he is going to be better set up to be successful in the long run than what Jake Curhan is. And so this one would be a narrow victory for me because I think Curhan is, is sneakily good against uh, blitz pickups and stunts. But I think that Abraham Lucas, in the long run, has the
1: edge in this category as well.
2: Yeah, I, I like the way that you explain that. You know, I, I agree with you. I think that uh, that Lucas has the long range ability, it'd be better in blitz and stump pickup He is, uh, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but he's a better athlete. He's a longer guy. He's a bigger guy. Um, at the same time, I think that the experience that Kurhan had, even in his limited opportunities at guard a year ago, I, I think that that is something that is going to allow him to be a little bit more savvy uh, a little bit more savvy, I should say, um, to just the complexity. Uh, of Seattle's offensive line in general. So right now, I do think that it's actually uh, probably going to be Curry. And he's always struck me as a very savvy, um, you know, offensive lineman. Um, At the same time, again, for the the different traits that we just mentioned before, I think that Lucas will eventually be the better uh, blitz and stunt pickup guy.
0: Now let's switch to the run game because Lucas is coming from two offensive schemes where he didn't have his hand in the dirt. Senior Bowl was really the first time that he played extensive snaps out of a three-point stance, and that's been a huge deal since really the beginning of the Air Raid offense. We we're talking about NFL evaluation for offensive alignment. Well, never played in a three-point stance; probably can't run block. Jake Curhan played in an offense at Cal where he was in a three-point stance very rarely as well. So these two guys came in the league with similar situations, but. Let's start with the zone run game, and it's really fascinating. When you look at the numbers, I don't have them right in front of me right now, but Cal ran primarily zone blocking schemes throughout Jake Curhan's career with the Golden Bears, and he graded out really well as a run blocker in zone concepts throughout his career there, whereas Abraham Lucas didn't have a lot of opportunities to run block in general, but certainly didn't have near as many opportunities to zone run block as what Jake Curhan had during his collegiate career. I just think from a technical standpoint, it's surprising because of Abraham Lucas's athleticism, but it doesn't show up always on these zone blocking schemes. He has a hard time getting backside blocks and he has a hard time executing reach blocks. Maybe the thing that stood out to me the most watching Jake Curhan's film in those games la- in the last five games last year in zone blocking How well he did winning the body positioning battle as a zone blocker. That really, to me, is one of the most important things when you're talking about zone scheme. He positioned himself to seal off defenders, to execute reach blocks, and he was surprisingly nimble despite not being a great athlete for the position. So I think that Jake Curhan actually has a significant edge in this category,
1: at least right now.
2: Yeah, I, I would agree with you. Uh, I think again that that savviness that I kind of mentioned previously, I think that really lends itself well to the zone blocking. I mean, his Kurian's uh, initial quickness, his awareness of where the moving parts on the defensive side of the ball, where they're going, um, his ability to kind of adjust in real time, I think is uh, you know really light years ahead of where Lucas is at this point uh, in his career. Again, Lucas has all the upside that you're excited about, but yes, I think that this is absolutely zone blocking. Uh, is, is absolutely one of the strengths of Kerrhan's uh, ability at this point. Gap blocking, on the other hand, I, I really think that's something that, uh, that Lucas, again, that the length, the strength that he offers, I think that's something that, that, uh, that he personally, I think that he does a little bit better at this point. Um, and I'm excited to see what steps he might be able to, uh, to take as he gets into this NFL program. I was really
0: torn on this one because the zone run blocking to me it seemed like a pretty heavy edge for Kerhan on gap blocking. Pro Football Focus did not like Jake Kerhan on gap blocking schemes last year. He got a 50 grade, and I don't know where they came up with that because I went back and I watched a number of these games when Rashad Penny was gashing people. He was running behind Jake Kerhan a lot of the time, and you could see him knocking defenders off the ball, creating push. Finishing blocks. I haven't consistently seen the finish aspect from Abraham Lucas to this point. If we're projecting here, I'm probably picking Lucas a couple years down the road. He's going to be the better gap blocker. But right now, I, I think this is again a case where Jake Curhan is just a more refined player in this regard. He finishes blocks off. He's able to sustain his blocks better than what Abraham Lucas is. So this one was a toss-up for me 50-50. If I had to make a pick right now, though, I think I got to go with Kurhan with a very slight edge. But this one could go either way.
2: Again, I, I agreed. I, I just think that the savviness that Kurhan possesses um, is one of the reasons why you can kind of give him that nod at, at this point. Um, he is physical. Um, he's got that body that looks more like a guard. And so that. That, that short squatty frame allows him to win the, the battle of, of leverage at the point of attack. And then he really brings his hips and keeps his legs moving through contact. And a lot of guys don't do that. that. That's not something that was basically asked of them is basically to make the initial block, be able to turn and seal them off, but don't don't necessarily be the finishers. And that is one of the things that I think that, that Lucas uh, needs to improve upon. Charles Cross shows some some really intriguing flashes. So it's not just the scheme. It's just whether or not they, they have that kind of fire in them to be that finisher. I think that all three uh, of Seattle's young offensive tackles, Stone foresight as well, frankly. But I, I think that that is something that the Seahawks prioritize and that we will see kind of come to fruition a little bit more as these young players get a little bit more experience. And, you know, again, I hate to uh, jump ahead, but I, I think that the ability to block on the move is, is something that I kind of mentioned before with, with Jay Curran. E- even though Abe Lucas, you know, clocked in, it was high four eights, low four nines in the 40-yard dash. Um, you know, absolutely unbelievable time for a man of his size. It's a functional football athleticism. That's where I think that Jay Curran kind of separates himself. His ability to get to the second level, you kind of mentioned some of those big Rashad Penny runs you know, a lot of those were right behind Kurhan, or he was moving people at the point of attack and then sneaking up to the second line of, of defense and and latching on the linebackers or even safeties in space. That's yep. pretty unique. And that's one of the reasons why I'm giving Curran the the slight nod share in terms of blocking the second level as well.
0: Yeah, I think that, you know, when you look at the athleticism, we can knock out both these uh, birds with one stone here because Abraham Lucas, when it, you're looking to 40 and He was in the 98th percentile and short shuttle. I mean, this guy is a rare athlete for a tackle in terms of his changes direction ability and his straight line speed. But that doesn't always translate on the field, including second level blocking, because there's more to second level blocking than just being a great athlete. You have to take really good angles to get to linebackers and safeties. And not every offensive lineman is good at that. You have to be able to work off of combo blocks and those are areas that Abraham Lucas is still growing because he hasn't had a lot of opportunities to do that playing in an offense where they're slinging the pigskin all over the place. And they don't run the ball very much. So he's still developing. Jake Curhan last year really did a great job working off of combo blocks and taking good angles. He knows his athleticism or maybe lack thereof. And he accounts for that with his angles. And that is the number one key when you're talking about second level blocking. And so, I think when you look at the end of this comparison here, Curran, to me, gets all of the run blocking stuff right now. I would give him zone, gap, and second level. Athleticism is the most lopsided one on here in terms of you know your testing metrics. Abraham Lucas is clearly the more athletic player of the two. But in terms of football fundamentals, especially in the run game, I think Jake Curran's got that advantage, which is why I would say right now, as I mentioned at the beginning of this segment, this is truly a 50-50 battle heading towards training camp.
2: Yeah, I think that it is. Uh, I think that this quarterback, running back, I think is another fascinating one um, that uh, I think it's going to make training camp, you know, really uh, exciting. Uh, I think that you're going to, you know, Pete Carroll keeps talking about competition, of course, but um, I, I think that in this case, in this training camp, we are going to see really young and really talented players who are very much going to be duking it out to be the starter. And I think that that right tackle position is going to be as fascinating of a competition as any of them.
0: Let's switch gears now to the defensive side of the football. The guys are going to be going up against Jake Curhan and Abraham Lucas when we get to training camp right now they're not playing real football. So we can't really evaluate pass rushers going up against offensive tackles, but come July and August, we're going to get a chance to finally do that. Continuing our position by position depth chart review. We looked at off ball linebackers last week. Now it's time to look at the edge defenders or outside linebackers. And in this particular scheme, you're going to see a little different terminology because if they're playing more three, four, you're going to have your two overhanging linebackers. And right now the projected starters would be Daryl Taylor and free agent signing Uchenna Nwosu. And you and I've talked about, it. I think Nwosu is kind of flying under the radar now with boy Mafé being drafted in the second round, but Mafé has got to prove he can be better than Nwosu and Nwosu had 40 pressures and five sacks for the Chargers last year. And oh, by the way, he's used to playing in a three, four, and he's only 25 years old. So I would think right now, Taylor and Nwosu, that's pretty set in stone. Those guys are going to be your starters unless, boy, Maffe just comes in and explodes in training camp and the Seahawks just can't keep him off the field. I think this is it and Taylor as your
2: starters. I 100% agree with you. I think there's a possibility that Maffe has that upside, and you see it right from the get-go. I mean, similar to what the you know Seattle Mariners right across the street, of course, um, you know, they saw with, with Julio Rodriguez. I mean, sometimes the talent is just so obvious that you got to get him onto the field. I think there's a possibility. Mafé is that gifted. But at the same time, I I really believe in Daryl Taylor and Nuosu. his physicality, his experience in the 3-4 defense. He is not the athlete that Mafé is. But at the same time, he is more proven, more pro-ready, more ready to kind of come in and be able to play the run as well as the pass. Um, And and that's why I do think that he is going to be the starter alongside Daryl Taylor starting uh, basically week one.
0: Let's start with our wild cards here. We know who the starters are going to be. At least we think we know who the starters are going to be at this position. You've got Boye Mafe, Alton Robinson's returning, Tyreek Smith, a fifth-round pick, Aaron Doncor, second season after coming over from Germany, and they got a couple of undrafted guys that are going to be competing for snaps as well. Who jumps out to you as the biggest wild card to watch in this group as we head towards training camp?
2: You know, for me, Corbin, i got to go with Alton Robinson. Um, you know, I think that he is the, the very definition of a wild card. You just don't know what you're going to get from him. I mean, I think that he has shown the flashes to be a five to seven sack a, a season kind of a guy. A, a, a can a, a strong member of the rotation, not necessarily a starter, but again, a strong member of Seattle's pass rush rotation. At the same time, I have not seen the encouraging you know, progress throughout his NFL career and even going back to college. Uh, Robinson was a guy who was kind of plagued by inconsistency and because Seattle has as much talent as they now have a pass rusher and they're playing a different scheme. Robinson did have some experience rushing off the edge at the two point stance at Syracuse, but not a lot of it. Uh, Um, and so because of all those things, I think that Robinson is clearly the wild card in this case.
0: I got to go with the second-round pick, boy, Mafe. I mean, is there a bigger wild card? As I mentioned, I mean, if this kid builds off what he did at the Senior Bowl, I mean, Chetan Nuosu signed with Seattle thinking, you know what? This is a perfect system for me, 3-4 defense. I'm 25 years old just coming into my own. I'm going to be the starter across from Daryl Taylor, and we're going to go hunt down quarterbacks. And maybe that's what ends up happening. But, boy, Mafe at six foot three 260 pounds four five two 40 yard dash speed can jump out of a building over a, a skyscraper I mean the guy is a freak athlete if he puts everything together early he is truly the wild card here because you can't keep a guy with that type of athleticism and size off the field if he's out there wreaking havoc during training camp in the preseason and so to me he is truly the wild card here, and we're talking starters and which guy's going to blow up. The physical
1: tools are just off the charts for this kid. So he's my wild card. Now, going to sleeper, maybe a guy that isn't getting any talk right now that maybe should be. Rob, who's the sleeper to you from this group?
2: Well, he's not so much a sleeper because I was, you know, talking about him so much a year ago, Corbin, but I am still fascinated by Aaron Doncor. I mean, talking about a guy who has incredible athletic ability. Now, this is a shorter package. We're talking about a guy who's basically 6'1", 250 pounds, rather than 6'3", 260, as you mentioned before with Maffe But in terms of the 40-yard dash times, the vertical, the, 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 the shuttle drills, we're talking about a similar athlete. And so to me, he is the sleeper. I wouldn't call him a wild card because I'm not expecting there to be any kind of realistic possibility that he's going to get you seven or eight sacks or anything like that. But I do think that he is a guy that can actually wind up carving out a spot on this roster. Um, and not a lot of people, Seahawks fans across the world, uh, necessarily are very familiar with Don Coy.
0: I'm going to go with a real deep sleeper here. Alec Changum, who played at the University of Colorado last year, was on the practice squad on and off for the Seahawks, got cut a couple of times. The reason that I'm throwing this name out there, though, in terms of OTA visual appeal from a scouting perspective, this dude just jumps out to you. He's standing next to Daryl Taylor and, boy, and you're just kind of like, who is that guy? Like, In terms of physique and athleticism, he just looks like he belongs with those other couple guys, which you just don't see undrafted players that have bodies like that or athletic traits like he does. And so he is a very deep sleeper. I don't know what to expect from him going into training camp. He could be a guy that gets cut a weekend like he was last year. But I also see a guy that's oozing with traits that intrigue And 3-4 defense might give him a better chance to make this team than a 4-3 because I think he's better suited for that hybrid outside linebacker role. So Chang'em is a name that I would keep a very close eye on as a deep sleeper. I'm not projecting he's going to make the team, but certainly could be a guy that gets maybe a sack or two in preseason games and makes the coaching staff take a little bit of notice here. And last but not least, the main bubble player. Who is the guy going into this process that truly is on the bubble in your mind?
2: Well, you, you just mentioned one of them in Chang'em. Um, you know, he is a guy that I am also very excited about. I mean, I thought it was fascinating at the OTAs that Chang'em was the player um, that, that Clint Hurt and the other defensive coaches were going to to initially kind of lead the, the edge rushers through the drills. And that kind of speaks to the fact that the Chang'em has incredibly quick hands and coordinates his hands and his feet very well. Makes him look pretty darn smooth going through those drills. But it also speaks to his familiarity. Of course, he was, as you mentioned, with Seattle a year ago. So he is going to be able to help Seattle's rookies um, and other young players be able to make that that transition. So to me, Chang'em is one of those guys who is very much on the edge. I, I've got kind of a, you know, we talked about this before with Miami being a kind of a closet Canes fan. I'm I'm a, a Chang'em fan as well. I just see a great deal of physical upside uh, with him. I just wonder if Seattle's roster is not already too full at the edge rusher position with guys who were drafted earlier or brought in as free agents. That's why I think the Chang'em is right on the edge uh, of making this roster.
0: And I'm going to say Alton Robinson for this one. I'm not afraid to admit it. I, I, I think he makes the team. But I think that he is not guaranteed to be on this roster with Tyreek Smith coming in. And the big reason why I have questions. Can he play that three, four outside linebacker? Is he going to have the versatility to drop back in coverage when you ask him to do so? Is he going to have the burst off the edge to play out wide like that and get after quarterbacks? I believe he can do that. I just have questions about his ability in coverage. And so, he is going to be somebody I'm going to be watching with this scheme change to see where he fits in, not being able to play traditional defensive end position anymore. That by itself, to me, with the two draft picks in the position, adding Nuosu and Free agency, maybe puts him on notice just a little bit. As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first list in five days a week. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week on YouTube. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we're going to be recapping the latest Seahawks open OTA, what went down at the VMAC, and much more. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Go Hawks.